Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, Saul Marquez here. I get what a phenomenal asset a podcast could be for your business and also how frustrating it is to navigate editing and production, monetization, and achieving the ROI you're looking for. Technical busy work shouldn't stop you from getting your genius into the world, though. You should be able to build your brand easily with a professional podcast that gets attention. A patched up podcast could ruin your business. Let us do the technical busy work behind the scenes while you share your genius on the mic and take the industry stage. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Thank you, everybody, for, for joining us today. I want to thank everybody for, for joining us today for the webinar. It's really a webinar that started and, and sponsored by Outcomes Rocket and also Engages. The future of health consumer engagement is now. We're going to be having a great discussion really around this pivotal point in healthcare, the pandemic, what it's done to, to people's care, it's being deferred. What are we doing to help people get back into the healthcare system? And then also around the vaccine and what are we doing to help people have the courage and the education and the motivation to get in and take the vaccine? At the very beginning, you know, the deferral of essential care presented a big problem for health systems, for payers, for our each individual health. And so I'm excited to have a, a wonderful group of panelists today to have a discussion that will help us all leave with some ideas in how we could engage our families, the lives that we cover if you're, if you're a payer listening to this, or your employees to get the care, or the communities, right, if you had a payer system. So it's about how to get our consumers engaged. And so I'm going to go ahead and introduce the panel. So we have three wonderful panelists that are going to be with us today, a little bit on each of them. So Kathleen Elmore is the Managing Director of Engages. Ms. Elmore brings the best of consumer marketing methodologies to healthcare to motivate better health decisions. Prior to founding Engages, she led the consumer engagement consulting practice for WellTalk, formerly Silverlink. And really for 12 years, she's been leveraging the data repository of over a billion consumer health interactions, the best of behavioral economics, and the latest in clinical research to create evidence-based communications on what works to drive consumer healthcare behavior to better outcomes and lower cost. Ms. Elmore spent the first 20 years of her career in brand marketing at leading consumer marketing organizations, including General Mills and Procter & Gamble. Additionally, she was a vice president at Digitas, a leading market firm. Recently, she was selected to be a consultant member of the first ever FDA's Patient Engagement Advisory Committee. We're excited to have her perspective and welcome to the panel, Kathleen. Thank you, Saul. Great to work with you again. Likewise. Um, we also have Scott White on the panel. He is the Chief Digital Officer of AeroSafe Global. Scott is a veteran life sciences and health IT leader with over 25 years of experience serving the nation's largest life science provider, payer, and health solutions organizations. At AeroSafe Global, He's responsible for driving digital innovation, partner, and customer relationships. Scott also actively advises early-stage technology companies and investors on health technology. Prior to joining AeroSafe, Scott was the chief strategy officer at Clear Data, the leading life sciences and healthcare cloud automation and security company, where he helped drive 30x growth 
And in prior roles, he served as the IT Vice President at Common Spirit Health, the VP of, and CIO of Phoenix Children's Hospital, and 17 plus years helping build healthcare practices with his experience at EY Siemens Healthcare and uh, Capgemini Serving Hospitals insurers, and also life science companies. So great, great background and, and uh, diverse background. Scott, thanks for, for being on the panel with us today. Thank you, Saul. And finally, we have the outstanding Gina Mangus. She is the Vice President of Strategy and Business Development for Flagler Health Plus. In this role, she's responsible for bringing to life an enterprise-wide strategy to further advance Flagler Health Plus brand leverage strategic partnerships, and evolve the way that enterprise engages with healthcare consumers. Ms. Magnus joined Flagler in 2007, and she spent the majority of her 25-year career as a marketing and communications leader. Prior to joining Flagler, she served in top roles at national and international companies in the sectors of laboratory informatics systems, wireless communications, and automotive parts manufacturing. In addition to her role at Flagler Health Plus, Ms. Magnus is very active in the local community. She serves on the board of directors for Epic Behavioral Healthcare and the United Way of St. John's County. And she's also a member of St. John's County Health Leadership Council. Uh, really great to have you on today's webinar as well, Gina. Happy to be here. And so uh, again, a big thanks to all of the attendees for today's webinar. It's gonna be a great discussion. We're gonna kick it off with an opportunity for you to get to know a little bit more about what each of our panelists does in the stakeholder system. So why don't we start off with Kathleen? Tell us about your role in the stakeholder ecosystem. Sure, I run uh, with my partner, uh, a healthcare consultancy that's laser focused on driving better consumer health engagement. So we work with payers, PBMs, health tech, provider systems, all to drive better behavior change among consumers to both drive you know, better outcomes and lower costs. So things like closing gaps in care, getting more folks to use digital, getting more folks to retain, get their well visits, all of those different behaviors that end up you know, over the long course driving better health. Thank you, Kathleen. Very important work. And um, how about you, Scott? We uh, here at RSA focus on the safe delivery of, of therapies. And so we're a leading cold chain shipping provider, and we develop the boxes and the insulation and the cooling material, and then delivers that uh, whole service that safely delivers drugs to providers and uh, even patients in their homes. And, uh, you know, my seat in the orchestra is, is to work with other partners and add some digital solutions to the physical boxes that increase the value for providers and patients and uh, drive better quality, better access to care, uh, better demonstration of outcomes, and importantly, as we can, to, to squeeze cost out of the system. Thank you, Scott. Certainly important uh, in, in getting those vaccines to, to all of our communities. And Gina, how about you? Thanks, Saul. I'm with Flagler Health Plus. So Flagler Health Plus is a total care enterprise aimed at advancing physical, social, and economic health. So we consider ourselves much more than a traditional healthcare system or a hospital. We're really focused on transforming what was once a seven-day or less relationship with patients as they would spend time in the hospital to a 365-year-a-day relationship. And so this COVID journey has been a, a challenging one for us, obviously, as on the healthcare provider side, 
Um, next week actually marks our first anniversary of the first COVID patient that we treated here at Flagler Hospital in Northeast Florida. It was actually the first patient in Northeast Florida. So since then, we have conducted 25,000 COVID-19 tests, and we have focused on vaccines uh, recently, which we'll talk about. And we're also really surrounding that patient experience with social health services. So we've been addressing food adequacy, rental assistance, as well as mental health services, which we'll talk some more about, I imagine, as well, the impact that's had on people accessing care in the last year of the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you, Gina. And really a, a forward-thinking perspective in healthcare and the way that you guys have, have addressed a lot of these needs. So really excited to have all, all you and, and all three of, of these uh, excellent uh, panelists on, on today's webinar. So let's start with this question. What makes this response really to the epidemic so different? And in particular, what barriers do you believe have been most daunting? Maybe we start with Gina on that one. Sure. I mean, obviously on the provider side, in the beginning of the pandemic, with people knowing so little about the transmission and the fear, um, and really there are mandates to stay home, right? So people were not accessing live care. We actually pivoted very, very quickly. We had telehealth as a product on our roadmap as part of our digital front door experience. And within a matter of weeks, we actually launched a new telehealth product to make sure that we had patients able to access care. Within that platform, not only can they have their doctor visit, but we also have what look like sort of Facebook communities in there. So self-isolation being a mental health concern, we were able to moderate communities for people who'd been diagnosed with COVID or who were just isolating to stay home and actually keep that communication open uh, with them throughout the pandemic. So it was a, a fast response that we had to make in really trying to ensure that our patients were able to access the care that they needed in a safe way, not yet really understanding what that picture could look like within a hospital or office setting to keep everyone safe from the COVID virus. Yeah, it's, it's certainly uh, a great approach. Uh, Kathleen or Scott, what are your thoughts about what makes this pandemic so different and what's been most daunting? Sure, I'll start. So, you know, what's interesting is that this pandemic has added complexity that other, you know, uh, situations in healthcare haven't added. So things like the variants, where the lockdowns are, what states are open, what states are closed, are you covered? And then, frankly, even when your vaccine comes to town, you know, which vaccine should you, you know, sign up for? And, and you know, of course, the answer is the first one you can get. But I think consumers, in some cases, when they're faced with complexity, they just shut down. And then there's inertia around that shutting down. But the good news is a lot of these barriers that consumers are feeling around this COVID vaccine are the same barriers they feel around a flu vaccine, right? I don't need it. You know, I'm not going to get affected by this. I'm afraid of the side effects. I, I'm not sure if I need one. It's not convenient for me. And so we do know through behavioral science, a lot of the ways to overcome the barriers that we've seen over and over to getting people more involved in their health. Now, granted, there'll be some new ones, but we also have new tools and technology that we can actually make it easier for consumers to push through those barriers and get their vaccine. Very reassuring that you're seeing parallels with you know the flu and, and things like that. Scott? Yeah, so it truly is a different uh, set of circumstances, this, this pandemic. It is, it is global. So we've had other pandemics that tend to be you know, more regionalized and uh, therefore the volume of risk is much higher. We have 7.8 billion people who are potential to get the illness, uh, which means we need billions of vaccines to be developed and manufactured and, and distributed. 
Some of the early vaccines that have, have come out have some very, very demanding temperature requirements. Um, that's, that's, that's hard. He, even here in the United States, in Europe, and uh, in the more developed parts of Asia, it's, it's difficult to find the capacity and deliver and maintain that. And, and that's also caused some skepticism on the part of some providers and patients. Uh, there's been news and scrutiny and political infighting and disagreements, you know, and that has um, added to some of the, the vaccine hesitancy that is always in the background for, for folks. Supply chains have been stressed because people have been working at home and some manufacturing has been um, shut down. So, I mean, I could, we just pile on. I mean, I think we've all experienced this um, high degree of stress, but I'm thankful. And I think, uh, I'm sure that many, many of the listeners who are in, in some way involved in the healthcare ecosystem, you know, we've all been able to do a part. And I think that is where some of the light comes and some of the encouragement for our part here at Aerosafe. We have absolutely ramped up our capacity to develop the shipping of the temperature-sensitive vaccines and that are incredibly highly tested. I've been had a front-row seat that has certainly raised my confidence in um, the amount of rigor that goes into uh, the testing and assurance that this, uh, these vaccines are gonna be safe for um, our patients. I think education is a key part. I think we've all um, been involved with that, even, even this, both as those who are sharing today and those who are listening and um, are trying to understand. And then I also uh, see some hope in, in the amount of partnerships that have happened. We've seen that just in the news recently about Merck and J&J, &J, for instance, of traditional ri rivals that are partnering. And, and I see, those things that there may be some bridges that have been built that I would hope will be a foundation for some better healthcare uh, post-pandemic. Yeah, for sure, Scott. And you know the the different environments that this vaccine has to travel through. You know the boxes and the technology that you and your company provide to make that happen are, are so critical. And so you know in the past the vaccine barriers were known and now we need more tools, nudges, celebrities, everything that, that other industries have done. And we need to apply those to healthcare, right? Today, it's about the consumer. And so in your view, what will be the biggest challenge facing providers, consumers, pharma, supply chain as we roll out vaccines and work to keep people and communities healthy. So I love that you mentioned, you know, celebrities and things like that. All, all of those kind of nudges are part of behavioral science. And there's so many pieces of behavioral science we can use in this, um, you know, in our tool chest. So things like personalization. If I were your health plan and I sent you a text, Saul, hey, your time is up for the vaccine. Here's three places close by that you can go to and really made it about you. That's going to overcome a barrier of convenience, right? Or of kind of, you know, don't have time. Then things like framing it in a message that has importance to you. If you have kids and we talk about, you know, being able to kind of get back out there to your son's baseball game, right? If we talk about immediate effects versus long-term effects, you're more likely to act. And even something as simple as for a Medicare audience, when we add a provider's name, that kind of credibility um, increases uptake on things like screening and flu vaccines by 34% in some cases, right? So you put all of these together because it's never one size fits all, right? You might be motivated by your doctor's name. Scott might be motivated by a celebrity, right? You know, think similar, think the go milk or gut milk strategy, right? If everyone was like, got my vaccine, you might be motivated by um, Tom Brady and somebody might be motivated by, you know, someone else. So all of those kinds of activities and all of those kinds of campaigns can come together to really kind of, you know, move the a larger population. Yeah, thanks for that, Kathleen. And it's oftentimes very small things that you can do that could have a really large impact. 
Absolutely. You know, those little tiny nudges just get us out of the inertia of our day-to-day lives. You know, there's some examples of even if we um, ask consumers, we say, are you going to go do this? Whether it's statin refill or uh, get a colorectal screening and they say no, we can say a simple, are you sure? And that like fear of missing out ends up motivating about another 30% of the people to do something. Amazing. That's just amazing. And there's so much for us to learn that we can apply in the healthcare sphere. You know, Gina, as it relates to, to what we could be doing here and biggest opportunity as we roll out the vaccines, you know, talk to us about what you believe could be effective to overcome these barriers. Well, I think Kathleen touched a lot on that. I think, you know, really that personalization of reaching out to people. We know there's a lot of women of childbearing age currently who are nervous about what the future might be for their fertility with the vaccine. And so really targeting those messages to the right audiences and even at the right place and the right time. One of the things we're working on right now with our technology partner, Healthfully to further build out our digital platform is integrating location settings, right? So if I know that you are so much far away from where there's a vaccination site nearby, I could message you not only the right message, but at the right time, adding in that convenience component. We're looking at that technology, not just for vaccinations, but let's just say I have a patient who smokes and he tells me that there are certain places that he goes where he tends to do it more So sending that message at the right time, those nudges, as Kathleen's saying, to that particular individual um, really is proven to be much more effective. Or if I'm diabetic and I'm driving through Dunkin' Donuts, I get the message at the right time, what might be the right diet choice for me to make while I'm there. So I think that personalization um, is really key. And I think there's been so many terrible things that have come out of this pandemic, but one of the few positives has been the open-mindedness that people have begun around integrating digital uh, technology into their healthcare. Yeah, I love that, that that geo-specific help that we could get. I mean, there's just so many options. Great, great to hear that you guys are thinking about this. Uh, So for the next question that I think parlays well with this, what's the biggest opportunity for us to leverage for a strong recovery? Uh, Scott, why don't we start with you on that one? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, getting people vaccinated, you know, we, the, the patients have to have a good experience. My wife's a teacher and she had an incredible experience of going to a site and the logistics were good and providers are super friendly and had a sense of humor. And she has shared that naturally as a, as a consumer in a sense of that experience. On the other hand, I think we probably all heard some folks who couldn't get through to the website or couldn't find the vaccine or were confused about which one it was. And, and so I think that's that's quite important because uh, the bad news does travel as, as well as good. And so to, to um, engage more people in a positive experience and get them vaccinated will get us back to work. And uh, I think also importantly, the provider experience. I think uh, providers, many have been just shell-shocked by this. Um, some in the you know ICU and COVID units have just worked absolute overtime for many, many, many months. Others in certain practices have seen their volumes drop way down and have terrible loss of income. Uh, so there's, there's different types of stresses for the pro- providers that we need to pay attention to. I see oncoming delays in care. You know, there's, there's going to be, be some people who need to get uh, routine screenings and exams and, 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 uh, and things like vaccines for, you know, pneumonia and the seasonal flu and everything else. We, we've got to get that uh, back going again. Um, and, and I also see, importantly, you know, this this area of this balance of confidence that people are safe 
to go back to work, to travel, to gather socially with the privacy. I think there's going to be some very, very interesting tension there that we're going to have to deal with both politically and, and then, you know, with, with solutions. And that's an area, for instance, that uh, in my role as, a, as Chief Digital Officer at Aerosafe, we already had some, uh, of course, strong emphasis on, on security and privacy, but we're doubling down. And in our partnerships, that's a critical part of our evaluation to make sure that you know, we're really taking that seriously. So again, uh, patients can not only have clinical confidence, but they can know that some sensitive information is going to be safe as well. Yeah, thanks for that, Scott. Confidence is is the cornerstone. I think of, of progress, as you mentioned. And I mean, I was at the dentist two days ago and I was just looking around and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm okay here, you know, and, but the dentist put a different suction in my mouth. And I mean, just different things to build that confidence that I felt good being there. And so Kathleen, Gina, any thoughts on that? What's the biggest opportunity? Sure. So, I mean, I think we've talked a lot about the behavioral science and the education, but one of the, you know, the challenges, if consumers don't hear what we're telling them around the education or, or aren't engaging to be, you know, feel the behavioral science tactics, we'll never move them. And so this explosion of channels actually opens up a huge opportunity. But in, in, in digital is great. And I'm so excited because we can have that two-way interaction with consumers to say, are you sure, you know, and, and turn things around. But we have to use all the channels. And in some cases, folks that are challenged with SDOHs, we've got to go into the community, right? It's kind of like, I, I like to use examples from outside of healthcare, right? It's kind of like Apple. You can go to the Genius Bar, you can have Apple come to you, you can call FAQs, you know, you can call Apple Cares. So we've got to do the same thing in healthcare and really use all of the channels so that we can meet every single consumer where they are. Yeah, and, oh. and that's exactly what we've been doing. Um, you know, leveraging town halls via Zoom and Facebook Live conversations with our pharmacists. And I'd like to, to kind of add on to that political component is, is trying to get some voices out there like, like our head of pharmacy, who people maybe have a different trust level with to hear the more detailed explanation from someone who doesn't necessarily have a political affiliation. And then also the boots on the ground. You know, we have our Plus Bus Mobile Health Clinic that we have taken out to the underserved communities and getting shot, shots in arms, uh, working with local churches and really getting on the road and getting that vaccine out to the communities who the people may be less likely um, to, to log on and register or they lack transportation and have no way to get there. And that includes the elderly population who we partnered with our local council on aging to get those folks on a bus to the hospital to get their vaccinations as well. Yeah, right. some really some really great examples. And it's great to hear the the focus on social determinants of health and just the work that's being done both from a messaging perspective and, and a community outreach perspective, because it's 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 critical, right? I mean, everybody needs needs help during this time. And so as the group, and, and this is kind of for all three of you, as you think about the innovations you've used recently, as it relates to vaccination and getting shots in arms, I would love to hear what uh, you guys are doing. Well, I'd like to um, talk a little bit about some innovation we utilize for COVID testing which could be applied. It was not in our state in Florida. We took a lesson from our neighbor at Disney World and created a fast pass lane in our drive-through test site. So if nice. someone downloaded our app, they could do a pre-registration that allowed them to go through the fast pass and not wait in the long lines. We were seeing up to about 400 people within a four hour period per day 
for COVID testing. And as you know, early on, part of stopping the spread was to increase access to testing. So I think that's something maybe other communities might be able to think about using for the vaccination process as well. Uh, we did some drive-through vaccinations here in St. John's County, but the um, sign-up process did not include that fast pass. But I, I do think it was worth mentioning that it, it's clearly applicable. And also for flu shots, as Kathleen mentioned, we can learn a lot from what we've gone through in the last year to really streamline. Actually, our community has been doing drive-through flu shots now uh, in flu season as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, that's a great, great idea, Gina, and a good, good lesson from from Disney. Um, how about you, Kathleen Scott? Any innovations you want to share about? So, yeah, we help you know large plans, provider systems, PBMs. Um, one of the biggest areas of innovation that we're helping our clients with is really this idea of personalization, which we talked about a little bit, and then also A/B testing. A/B testing is a terrific you know tool in your toolkit to really peel back the onion on what works for what populations to drive what specific behaviors. And so, um, you know, you, you could do a campaign that would talk about overcoming the barrier of um, skepticism, right? And you're going to get so many of the people that actually have that barrier and, you know, transform them. But what about the people who's, who it's fear because of side effects, whatever? Then you've got to peel back the onion again and try a new test. And what happens is this A-B testing allows you some really rapid experimentation with rapid insights. And then you start to find out, okay, you know what? This demographic really responded to the geographic personalization because their barrier was convenience. This group really responded to the education around the safety and efficacy of the three different vaccines because their barrier was fear. And so then the next person comes in, you can predict based on what this group looks like where that person's going to land and, term, and get faster and better at transforming members. So it is, it's a tactic that's been used forever. It's used every day you go into Amazon and you, know, you, you put something in your basket and they say, well, what about these three things? If you don't click, <laughs> the next time you go in, it's three different things. You know? So that's the kind of consumer methodology that we should adopt fast and furiously in healthcare. And I'm excited to see many of our clients starting to use it. That's great, Kathleen. We definitely need that type of touch. And it's not easy. So it's great to know that there's there's pathways to get this done. Scott, your your boxes are going up in space. I mean, these things, they, they, they take them up there, right? So, yes. I mean, as far as innovation, out of all the things that you guys do, what's one thing that, that stands out? Yeah. So, yeah, we are known for our engineering innovation and the fact that our, our shippers go to the International Space Station. Absolutely. And we've done some work with some new material and designs for the shipping of the of the core vaccine, which we're very thankful about and, and added some international sites to allow a more global reach. We are, our shippers are, are highly designed and it's not just, they're just used once and thrown away, but we've designed a process around that to where they can be sent to a provider, for instance, or vaccination site, and then they're returned and refurbished. So there's tremendous environmental savings and uh, cost savings, uh, et cetera, because these highly engineered materials are not thrown away, but they're, they're, they're reused. So that's been a big part of it. But there's been some really interesting other parts in terms of the last mile. You know, how do you actually get the vaccine you know, out to the provider where they're gonna deliver the medication? And uh, we're actually having smaller, we call them cases, where you can take the vaccine, the provider takes the vaccine out of the box, puts them in the case and then can drive to a long-term care facility or other site, and it can keep the, the vaccine within the appropriate temperature range 
and they can then um, administer the vaccine for those people who may be um, homebound or in other areas. And we've we've done that for the largest uh, not-for-profit health system in the country. Uh, the two largest uh, pharmacies in the in the country are. We've got thousands of these cases that we've produced. Um, and in fact, are even not a business that we had done before because of the extreme uh, temperature requirements for one of the early vaccines, we're shipping dry ice all over the country. So we've sourced the dry ice. We use our containers because the dry ice, what's called sublimate, it would sort of run out, if you will, and turn to fog. But we're able to keep that very cold and deliver this to um, rural pharmacies and allow them to keep that vaccine safe over time. So our logistics, uh, our customer service team has absolutely been amazing. They have an air traffic control and can know if the dry ice is going to be delayed, they'll ship another box by another route. We've had Uber drivers figure out ways to get dry ice places to preserve that vaccine and have the providers and patients know that they can be confident that it's, it's going to be safe. So it's been tons and tons of, you know, seven by 24 work to make this happen, but uh, really so proud of the team and, and those who are involved in uh, pushing this thing back. That's fantastic, Scott. It, it takes a village. It takes the world, right, to, to get these things done. And uh, great to hear the work and the amount of engineering and thought that goes into getting the vaccines to us safely. That's only one of the things, though, you know, it, getting it there safely. Uh, curious what this group thinks about biggest obstacles to overcome that mass skepticism to receiving the vaccine. I was just going to say that I think that we did touch on this a little bit already around the, the type of people that we need to get out there talking about the actual fact, really focusing on listening and being listeners and understanding what those concerns are and coming out with evidence-based information that addresses those concerns, getting the emotion out of it, getting the politics out of it, and really having an opportunity for that open dialogue. Even here in our healthcare system, we hosted a Zoom town hall with the pharmacy experts because we had our own team members, clinicians, again, a lot of women of childbearing age who had very specific questions that they really needed answers for um, in order to make an informed decision. And then I think creating opportunities for people with all levels of education and all experience to ask you know, questions that they may be embarrassed or afraid to ask in other settings. Like I say, getting out to the churches and having those sessions across communities is really key. And I think we're very fortunate here in this community, we're at 78% of our seniors over 65 have had the vaccine already. Nice. Congratulations on that. That's, that's fantastic. Great yeah, progress. I think Gina said it beautifully. You know, really, it's all of that education, pulling in all the evidence-based science, finding the, the leaders, the stakeholders, the, the, you know, authority of credibility, and then reaching consumers. And goes back to that idea of just using that explosion of channels to our benefit. Yeah. And there's so many channels to use. What channels do you use? How do you use them? I mean, really, just as an aside, Kathleen, how do you, how do we know? You know, is is, has there been any proven channels that you can highlight? You know, it's never one size fits all, Saul. So there's great channels for, you know, the millennials. And even that isn't one size fits all, right? There's folks that prefer email, folks that prefer text, folks that prefer using an app on their phone. You know, for the Medicare group, never one size fits all. We've got plenty of seniors that are avid texters and very digital. We've got other folks that are holdouts and don't even want an automated call. They want a human call, you know, so... There's really kind of really all types of folks that we just need to do that A-B testing to figure out what's most powerful for you. Yeah, um, just to add on to that, 
the number one, the fastest growing group on Facebook today is 65 and up. So, you know, we don't want to always assume that the Medicare population is going to want uh, messages delivered in an old traditional way. And I think one thing we haven't talked about yet is storytelling. And the more people that are vaccinated, the more people talk about their experience and how they're fine. And the more human beings that we can feature out there in the stories, I think is beneficial as well. Yeah. I love that, Gina. And, and you know, we, we talked about the credibility of, of a doctor telling you, but there's also that idea of just someone that looks like you also telling that story. Um, we did a fun A-B test at one point using a chief medical officer of a plan who was an MD against Bart Starr, a retired football player in Wisconsin, to motivate seniors into a condition management program. And Bart Starr won, <laughs> even though he has no <laughs> clinical credibility whatsoever, right? Because he looked like that group. That is yeah. awesome. You know, we've used, we, we've worked with some others who are other channels and other sources of, of information that you hope would be viewed as, as neutral and come with a fact-based sort of message. And uh, so we've had contacts with governors and other political leaders um, who are convening different stakeholders. I think it's been very helpful. And there are, are people like the Association of Immunization Managers who, you know, in the past would have been sort of in the back or wouldn't been at the forefront of news, but realize how incredibly important they are and their work and even the association. And they they bring a sense of a neutral sort of third party who is informed and credible. Um, and I think they've been an example of a really helpful voice in, in communicating important news and uh, developing confidence and, and trust. Yeah. Super, super fascinating to understand the the psychology behind some of these things that can be used for for the good of, of of all of us. And you know, there's a lot of parallels that are drawn. You know, I've heard discussions such as, "Hey, you, if you're going to buy a fleet of trucks and you're, you know, you you put a committee on it to buy this fleet of trucks, that's going to cost you a million dollars. But if you have a bunch of back surgeries that you have to do, you really don't even in, inspect that." And the same thing goes with how we get people we care about into the health system. I mean, Kathleen, you know, you were General Mills, right? Is, is it Cheerios over there? Like all the stuff that is done for us to buy Cheerios. <laughs> That's absolutely right, right? I love to say I came from that world where I was getting you to eat when you weren't hungry and buy things you didn't need. So I'm happy to use those same methodologies for good instead of evil. But that's exactly right. And, you know, Cheerios had it so much easier because they just had a very narrowly defined target of affluent moms with brand new babies or husbands with bad cholesterol. Here we have a big challenge because we have every walk of life, every socioeconomic status, every, you know, education, geographic, you name it. And so it'll never be one size fits all. So absolutely, you know, it's kind of peeling back that onion to see what works for what folks, for what actions. Totally. And so as it relates to health consumers and, and deferred care, right? It was a huge issue last year. I feel like confidence is growing, but it's still not there. So how would you say your organization's addressing safety for patients? I'd love to hear from Gina and, and then Scott. I'll go ahead and start. So I think as it relates to deferred care, I think, you know, part of it is ensuring that we have capacity. I think that's, that's going to be very important. There's been some real serious capacity constraints in parts of the healthcare system. Again, we've got flu and pneumonia and other routine care, you know, oncology, wound care. We deliver insulin. We're touching all of that. And I think it's very important for us to make sure that not only we've got the capacity to deliver millions and millions of doses of the vaccine, but also have the capacity to deliver all of that other care that is that is critical to, to people's health and well-being. But, you know, the other thing I think 
looking ahead, telemedicine, for instance, has has seen a big a boom because immuno, immunocompromised patients and even others, don't, they don't want to go into a, a crowded setting and providers, it's harder for them to get out. So I actually think that has been you know, one of those silver linings that I hope we can find in this awful tragedy of COVID. And, and so we're doing some partnerships in that space. We actually do deliver uh, therapies directly to patients' home in a, in a temperature-sensitive way. And I am not an AeroSafe customer. I wish I were because I, I get, for instance, um, insulin. We have uh, several type 1 uh, diabetics in the family, and it's a very difficult uh, chronic disease. And we get these boxes packed with, with throwaway uh, cooling material and styrofoam, and we just throw away tons and tons of that styrofoam. So there, there needs to be better ways to be thoughtful about how we connect with the patients and deliver them care, deliver them therapy, deliver them medical devices that, you know, over time, we're going to be thinking about other elements like the environment and impacts um, beyond the immediate stress of COVID. Scott, that's really fascinating. And the theme of consumerism, it's here, right? And you guys are even thinking about delivering Medicaid or, or you're doing, you're not thinking about it, you're yes. doing it, right? Absolutely. To, to individual homes. That's just phenomenal. I mean, right. and, it, and it does boost confidence to hear that. It does. And then there, of course, there's there's ways to digitally connect with with those patients and the providers of of how do you provide education on this particular medication, how medication information related to potential side effects, how can they even interact with you and report potential problems or give you feedback, give the pharmaceutical company or the providers feedback. There's there's some really exciting things that um, we're starting to do already for both patients and providers to really build this web that in the end delivers a better patient experience, helps them adhere and actually takes the medication. And then, of course, most importantly, really helps them uh, get healthy and stay healthy. Yeah. And Gina, at the beginning, she mentioned how her health system is going beyond just the episode of care. And it's that 365 interaction with with uh, with all of us as, as consumers of healthcare. I'm fascinated by this, this idea of remote patient monitoring, this ability to have that constant contact. That's what's going to pr- promote healthcare and not sick care. And so, Gina, when you get back, whatever question we're on, please... Uh, <laughs> Please stop us because I certainly want to want to hear from you. Moving on to the next one here. What are some ways we can approach these challenges to springboard into into a strong 2021? Kathleen? Um, I think, you know, we've all touched on it a little bit in that we need to use all of these new options in delivery of care, telehealth, sending kits to the home for, you know, colorectal screenings, having uh, there's a lot of home in home, you know, explosion of health tech and health services. Um, there's things like, you know, using Slack and ambulance drivers to go deliver care. And there's just there's so much terrific innovation across health tech and health services right now. It's exciting to watch. And I think there's going to be some pockets and islands of excellence that rise to the top. Yeah, no, it is. It is exciting. And, you know, Kathleen, to uh, really use what we've learned and to take it beyond. Right. Scott mentioned diabetes. You mentioned, you know, colorectal exams. It's critical to take what we're learning now and apply it to those things that have always been ailing us. That's right. And AI is going to play a big role. We're seeing some really cool innovations around artificial intelligence, being able to do some asynchronous healthcare, um, you know, so that it's not just this episodic that it's ongoing based on, you know, the data coming in. So more to come on that for sure. Fascinating. Gina. I would love to talk a little bit about the topic that we were discussing around remote patient monitoring and the ability to really um, integrate the whole care circle into a person's experience, not only all the providers, the pharmacists, the medication, 
but also the family members. What we've been working on is when we talk about those nudges that Kathleen mentioned, so it's just through our unified digital experience, if my mom's at home and she's supposed to be taking her meds at, I don't know, 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. every day, and she logs that on the platform, as a member of her care circle as her daughter, I can get the notification when my mom's not being compliant, right? So the idea is to expand that accountability circle in ways that the family is comfortable with, but that can be helpful. Not only maybe does my clinician get the notice that I'm not taking my meds, that my, my daughter gets that, and the whole approach to really increasing engagement and clients. And even again, integrating those location settings. If I know that person suffers from depression, I can see they've not lost the house in five days, which is unusual. Then we can push out the messaging or depression screening survey or the sorts of things. So there's so many opportunities, I think, that people, again, are more open-minded to now because they've experienced a little bit of what telehealth can bring to them um, after this pandemic. Yeah, that's a really great application, Gina. And just, you know, how do you how do you measure and how do you hold us accountable? Because it's so easy to forget. And part of that accountability comes with that broader circle, as Gina mentioned. Uh, so I think it's a it's a really great approach. There's always pitfalls. And so I want to hone in on the pitfalls here for a second. So what what are those pitfalls? And maybe let's isolate that one or two that we should be sensitive to. Kathleen, let's kick you off with that one. Sure. Um, there's plenty of pitfalls, right? There's inertia. There's um, one of the cool stats that I'll, I'll tell Gina's story for that fascinated me is when she, when the world first closed and everything was canceled, it was really for the conservation of PPE. And again, this is Gina's story. So, you know, in, in light of the mutinous. And what, you know, for consumers, what they thought is it just wasn't safe. And so then as the world opened back up and, you know, PPE was in not as dire straits, consumers were still thinking it was unsafe. And so to change that perception, you know, was a barrier to overcome. And so when you think about, you know, the pitfalls going forward, we really need to cut out the noise of all of the different messages and really get aligned around that these are safe that this is the right thing to do, right? Because that way we're going to move more people um, forward on them. But right now there's still there's still too much noise around all of these different concerns that we've got to we've got to get people around. Got to get rid of the those voices that aren't effective and truly love the approach there. So, oh, so, so one one other thing I'll say though too oh, is yeah, getting care. Yeah, no, just getting care for deferred care. Getting the caregivers involved. You know, caregivers whether they're uh, spouses, whether they're kids, whether they're hired help. Caregivers are an important part of that stakeholder. What Gina was talking about, you know, on that platform, she's obviously an uh, adult child caregiver. Getting those folks to really get folks motivated is a big deal. Yeah, thank you for that one. Appreciate you calling that one out, Kathleen. And so let's talk about what success is going to look like, right? I mean, we're all gathered here. We're vested in the interest in all this working and, you know, for everyone, we want people to take their vaccines. We want people to get their care. What does success look like mid-year and at the end of the year? You know, we have seen an incredible rebound, thankfully, in our outpatient procedures, our imaging procedures. What, we're, what we've not seen turn yet is we're still seeing a higher acuity of patients, which means they're waiting longer before they're seeking care. And so really, I think for us, seeing that acuity level go down in the hospital, makes that people are seeking that, that care they need, the preventive measures sooner. The American Heart Association has a, a nationwide campaign called Don't Die of Doubt that we have partnered with locally because people are waiting. They think they might be having a heart attack and they're waiting too long to go seek emergency care. 
So I think, you know, obviously success is around the deployment of the vaccines. We've seen an incredible response here, which we're very thankful for. And then also really ensuring people understand that it is safe and there are options if you don't want to have a live visit with your doctor. I think almost 70% of what people see their primary care doctor for can actually be taken care of virtually. So, and there's now the hospital at home and more delivery services that was mentioning. So I think, you know, we will get back to a, not a, where we once were, but a different place. And I think ultimately it may be a better place where people do become more engaged in their health because it is more and accessible and personalized. Yeah. Thank you. And there is a, a huge movement, Gina, to, to that hospital at home, you know, that, that you can get everything in the home, that consumer-based model. And I walk around the neighborhood and I see all these Amazon packages on the doorsteps and I think about healthcare too. And the 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 vision that you just kind of expressed and, and what success could look like, it's very exciting, you know, what, what it could be. And you guys are taking steps toward that. Um, Scott, your thoughts on what success will look like? Right. Well, you know, there's some clear things like vaccination rates and signs of um, herd immunity where we have much lower infection rates. That would be great. So we would think about probably Israel as the first country who's, who's achieved uh, herd immunity. But it takes the, the global village because uh, people do still travel and, and we do ultimately will see uh, travel go up. So I think so, those are some of the early things that we're going to be looking for. But as that happens, I, I think we are, we're going to have to take a pause and do some deep reflection. Now, I can picture um, a webinar like this, and it's maybe even a setup uh, for, for us to come back and really take some, a critical look. You know, what worked well and where did we just miss it? Where did, where did the healthcare system just really fall down? And what, what are we learning from that? What changes in behavior are we starting to put in, in place? And uh, what are some things that we're, you know, still aren't working? So I think we have to, I think we have to critically look at that. Um, one of the elements that I've seen already, I've mentioned, is this, this concept of partnerships. If we are going to have patient-centric care and outcomes-focused care, then it, it's not just going to be a siloed solution that is going to make that happen. So I do think we're going to have to have some trusted partnerships in place. I think there's a growing need for that. And then, of course, we're going to have to start doing some planning for 2022. There are variants of COVID-19 already, and you know we have to understand the vaccine effectiveness against those variants. And then we also know that there are new non-COVID-19 coronavirus viruses that uh, that either you know are brewing now or will be. So we we should have a much better global response to the next potential pandemic, so that we can actually prevent it from being a pandemic. So lot, lots and lots of work to do, even in spite of this uh, framing the question of success, which it will, it'll be good to have success, but that doesn't, doesn't mean our work is done. Yeah, well said, Scott. So Kathleen, last question, and I'd love to hear from all the panelists here on the last one. This has been a fantastic discussion, very stimulating. All this will be available on the podcast afterwards. So uh, excited to share this with the broader audience of that as well. What closing thought would you share with our viewers and listeners? And uh, if you can add with the personal health story of your own, that'd be fantastic. Sure. So I think one of the things that uh, well, both Gina and Scott beautifully outlined success, but one of the things that Scott said that really sparked was this idea of the stakeholders coming together, this whole ecosystem coming together to become much more consumer centric, right? Keeping the consumer at the center will be able to really kind of drive care in ways we haven't in the past. 
And one of those, you know, areas of care is this idea of deferred screenings. You know, if I'm talking to the folks at large is get back into care safely, get those screenings done, because obviously early detection on so many things saves lives, you know, lowers cost, increases quality of life, you name it. And of course, get your vaccine. Thank you, Kathleen. Gina, closing thoughts? That we haven't discussed yet, but it's definitely a component in engagement. And that is the mental health crisis that we have experienced in the last year. We've seen across the country and here in my region an incredible amount of issues around mental health, uh, particularly in youth. We've seen figures from our school district referrals of kids who need behavioral health assistance skyrocket. And so when we talk about getting people out and doing their prevention, getting their vaccine, a big part of that is ensuring that their mental health is well where it needs to be. So that, that needs to be a focus moving forward. Um, it is part of that whole, you know, health circle. And then just from a personal perspective, how much, you know, this pandemic has affected that people's health. My, and how important the vaccines are, you know, my parents were married for 58 years and my father passed away recently. My mom's 79 and has been meeting with a group of ladies for lunch every month that she went to high school with. And for the last year, they have not seen each other since April. And then with my dad passing, it just so happened the timing was that all her lady friends had gotten out and gotten their vaccine. So for the first time in a year, they were able to get together and have lunch and fellowship and support one another. And I think this is going to be a, a huge benefit and game changer for my mom's health for the next section of her life where she no longer has my dad at home. So people do need to vaccinate. It, it can be transforming. And we need to really focus on the effects that this is having on people. Um, Thank you, Gina. That, that's, a, that's a great, great point. And let's get vaccinated. Let's enjoy those things that we used to before. Scott, closing thoughts yes. and... Uh... Right. So closing thoughts, yes. Get vaccinated. Support your providers, the physicians and nurses, you know, at their office uh, on a personal level or whatever a chance you get. Encourage them. And then thirdly, help your friends and family. And in that note, I have... Um, a, this is a confession coming from a chief digital officer. So my category uh, just opened uh, to vaccines in, in my community. And uh, there was some news about that. It went under the site that was recommended. It was, the, it was the whole state website. And I probably worked for 45 minutes on two computers trying to get an appointment, you know, at one in the morning and all these times over and over and over again, I couldn't get it. And I was, I was frustrated. I want to get vaccinated. And a friend of mine actually called me and said, it wasn't a back door, but there was another site that was related that was smaller and he said, you know, Scott, click this button, that button, and this button, and navigate here, and you're all set. And uh, I now have my appointment. So I'm very healthy. Uh, and so even the digital officer needs help navigating some of these systems. So yeah, reach out to your friends and, and, and give them a hand. So I'll thank you very much. Yeah, no, thank you, Scott. And this has been wonderful. So just uh, want to conclude with uh, saying thank you to everybody that attended the webinar. We appreciate you taking this hour out of your day to learn and get better. And a big thanks to, to Gina, Kathleen, and Scott for sharing their insights and, and knowledge here. Uh, grateful to all of you and excited to make 2021 outstanding. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you, so. Thank you all. Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners. No podcast? No problem. Launch a professional podcast you'll love in four weeks. Most people hire production companies to edit and distribute content that sounds bad and does nothing for their revenue or their network. But you could turn the key to a made-to-order podcast and skip all the pitfalls that make 90% of shows discontinue after five episodes. 
We've got the expertise, the elbow grease, and you're back on this one. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.